Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Other times you need a deeper understanding of what's going on. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Justin Coffin, and this is Reset. A COVID-19 vaccine is on the horizon. We still don't have a strong sense of when things will return to normal, and that need for normalcy has never been more pressing than this holiday week. Research shows that social isolation and loneliness are real threats to our mental health, and that's for everyone, all age groups. And recent data from the CDC says that the U.S. is in the grips of a mental health crisis. So if you're feeling anxious or depressed or if you're turning to substances more and more to get by, you're not alone. Dr. Inger Burnett-Zeigler is a licensed clinical psychologist and a professor at Northwestern's University's Feinberg School of Medicine. Dr. Burnett-Zeigler, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to have you. Lisa Sini is also with us, aging expert and author of the book, Boom, The Baby Boomer's Guide to Leveraging Technology so that you can preserve your independent lifestyle and thrive. Lisa, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. All right, Professor, let me start with you. What do we know about social isolation and loneliness and how it affects our mental health? Well, we know that, you know, people in general who report feeling more isolated do tend to feel more depressed. And as you indicated in your opening remarks for this segment, you know, COVID has set up a situation where people are indeed feeling more disconnected. They're having fewer opportunities to connect with loved ones. And in my clinical practice, I hear a lot of people talk about feeling trapped. Mm -hmm. Um, Many people are spending the majority of their time inside, the majority of their time with just their family members, if they have family members that they're living with, and feeling disconnected from potentially the other aspects of their life that would give them joy. Um, And so that's making things especially hard for folks right now. Yeah. And, you know, because I would say that social isolation and loneliness, of course, has been studied and there have been connections to mental health before the pandemic. But there's something about this experience where where we can't see our family. We can't uh, we can't change our social isolation. We can't. And so that seems to play a big part of what social isolation means during the pandemic. Right. Yeah, that's right. You know, there are not your typical outlets that you would usually have. And although people are turning to the things that are available, like Zoom, like, you know, various social media outlets, it's really not the same as being able to connect and spend time with people in person. And in fact, folks are starting to experience fatigue from those virtual ways of connecting. um, And that's exacerbating that feeling of loneliness and isolation. Let me bring in, Lisa, when we we talk about, you know, the fact that this is affecting so many different age groups all together, uh, because a lot of times, uh, you know, especially when we talk about social isolation right now, we're we're almost falling to a stereotype that it might be one type of person who lives in a studio apartment who doesn't have the ability to reach the family. But this has a lot to do with the boomer generation, much more to do with uh, the elderly population as well. I think quite often we kind of forget how this is how a lot of seniors live all the time. And so it's opened our eyes to kind of be able to empathize with what they're living with and how they feel at most times. But it's also doubled down on what they're experiencing. And what's the broader picture of mental health right now in the country? I mean, I mentioned the CDC reports, 41% of survey respondents are experiencing at least one mental or behavioral health condition. Children are experiencing isolation as well, extra hard. 
So what's the, the landscape like? You know, I think what I'm seeing most commonly is a lot of anxiety. And we know that anxiety typically tends to be tied to a sense of feeling out of control, a sense of not being able to plan for the future, and uncertainty. And that's really where we find ourselves in the midst of the pandemic. We don't know when things are going to end. There are a lot of things that are out of our control, like when we'll return to our typical routines, when children will return to in-person learning the lack of uncertainty about various aspects of what previously used to be our typical routine. Um, and that really drives a sense of fear and worry that has people feeling keyed up and on edge mm -hmm. and feeling like they're just kind of gripping to get by from day to day. Lisa, when we talk about this week, because uh, Thanksgiving, you know, celebrated not for its traditions necessarily, but for the fact that family can come together. And, mm -hmm. and family comes together of all generations, and that's when a lot of uh, grandkids are going to be around, a lot of kids are going to be around. It's just where uh, the elderly are going to get more of that stimulation around family. So with that missing, what impact does it have on the elderly population? Enormous. Quite often for the elderly population, holidays are what they look most forward to. You might not come over every week, but you're going to be there for Easter or Christmas or Hanukkah or Thanksgiving. Um, and now that that's been taken away, it's an even harder isolation. And unless we put a very concerted effort into technology and helping them through that, um, they're going to be more isolated and more depressed than ever. Hmm. And one of your major focuses right now is, uh, when it comes to isolation is the Alzheimer's community and uh, how mm -hmm. the pandemic is uh, impacting them and also people with dementia. What are you seeing uh, when it comes to, to that population? Um, you know, a, a real lack of understanding. Um, it's a very difficult thing when you can explain something to somebody and they have the cognition to be able to understand it. With someone with dementia or Alzheimer's, you can explain it, and five minutes later you have to explain it again. And so it's reliving the trauma all over again and not understanding that, which is wearing on staff or family as well as the individual. So, you know, part of it is you have to, you know, look at how you can provide some positive distraction mm -hmm. and some items that might, you know, alleviate that stress and anxiety. Yeah, I would, I would just assume as well. I mean, I know because my grandmother died from dementia, and the fact that dementia care is set up for so many people in the in the nursing homes to come together. There's the, the the middle area, and then there's the dining, and there's games, and there's music. There's so much that's done specifically to stimulate people with uh, Alzheimer's or dementia, and you can't do that right now. That has to have a severe impact on on those people. It really does, and then it makes it even more stressful when family are doing the calls and or the window visits. So you know, doing things that can help alleviate are like companion pets you know, that are robotic pets, being able to do Zoom calls, um, being able to listen to music and still have a good time, even if they're in their own room. Professor, what about disparities or inequities in how the mental health crisis is playing out for, for different communities? We know that, you know, racial and ethnic minorities, people with lower income are already predisposed to experience higher levels of stress. And you combine that with the COVID pandemic, 
which is disproportionately impacting communities of color. We know that communities of color are also uh, more of our frontline workers, uh, also facing more housing insecurity, facing more employment um, instability. And all of these factors contribute to a higher level of stress, a higher level of anxiety, fear, and worry around the pandemic. In addition to that, you know, we've also seen anecdotal reports of higher rates of reports to domestic violence hotlines and additionally people experiencing challenges that have had issues with substance abuse. Right. You know, folks that were already predisposed to have stress, depression, and anxiety and, you know, in domestic violence situations or struggling with substance abuse disorders are uh, particularly vulnerable at this time. You know, and, and it's also, this, this, has, this point has to be driven home, too, because as you just mentioned, in some communities, you're going to have a lot of frontline workers and, and, and people who are, are essential. And you're going to have a lot of trauma that is involved with that. We've been, we've been hearing about that. People work as nurses and in and, and hospitals, but also just uh, the overwhelming way that uh, you, ha- to, to make money, have to interact with the public when so many others are, are being told to isolate and stay home. There's something about that trauma and then bringing that home and being isolated at home that also has to add to this equation. Yeah, that's absolutely right. You know, there may be trauma related to the work itself, um, that fear around uh, putting yourself at risk in terms of your health and well-being. Um, You mentioned folks that are living alone, but a lot of people are also living in situations where they're sharing the space with other family Mm -hmm. members. And so them going to work to support uh, their families may also be putting their families at risk. Um, And the additional weight of knowing that, you know, this is something that they have to continue to do to maintain their livelihood and that the economic system is also fragile at this time. And so having that additional burden of being able to do what you can to maintain your employment and maintain uh, stable finances in order to be able to take care of your family can certainly be an added burden. Yeah. And, and Lisa, this, I mean, this, this week is a good indication. I mean, winter's upon us. When you look at the sky, it's gray and it's rainy. And yesterday it felt like it was dark all day. You've written a lot about seasonal disorders and the need for light. So how how important is that when uh, seasonal disorders when it comes to what we're dealing with now with the pandemic? It's absolutely critical. Um, you know, our sleep patterns and our circadian rhythm is formed around sunlight. And so when we don't have that and we're not sleeping properly, it affects our immune system. It also uh, affects our ability to think properly and not struggle with depression. So anything that you can do to improve your sleep, which means getting a little bit of sunlight during the day is incredibly helpful. There are lots of tools out there. There's some lamps you can get that you can sit in front of and you can buy them online. There's a little device called Human Charger that goes through your ear and connects through your actually drives light uh, through the bones and through the skull. Those kinds of things, 20 minutes a day, that type of therapy can be very useful right now. Mm. But also, you know, maintaining a view of nature. You have a tendency when it's ugly and gray not to want to look outside, but you can still view nature and appreciate it. Yeah, true. Uh, what impact does screen time have 
on our well-being. I feel like that's the the unsaid story here, that uh, whether we used to have limits on our screen time, we'd have limits on our kids and what they could look at, things like that. That's all out the window when school is at home and kids are on screens. Work is at home, and you, your whole life is now in front of a screen. There's so much that goes into what screen time is doing to our feeling of connection and isolation. Well, we know that you know screen time can be activating, um, and that activation, whether it's television, video games, social media, can in turn make it difficult to uh, slow down our system to achieve that state of rest and relaxation and ultimately interfere with sleep in the evening. Um, additionally, we know that, you know, doom scrolling, if it will, if it's about COVID or, you know, other things that might be stressful that are going on in the world right now can also lead, can also exacerbate that sense of anxiety, fear, and worry that people are experiencing, mm-hmm. chronically checking for quote-unquote bad information um, and leaving those thoughts kind of lingering in the mind in the in the nighttime that keep people awake and ruminating and tossing and turning. And so I really believe that setting boundaries around not only screen time, but specifically social media engagement can be really important in terms of maintaining a state of mental wellness. And it's also, it just comes down to the fact that uh, those devices, the social media that uh, we've been introduced to, their whole goal, at least the goal, you know, for the user, not necessarily for the company, is connection. To be able to text somebody or to uh, like someone's post or, uh, you know, put a post up yourself on Instagram and, and connect with your followers, that's that's a big part of it. But in a way, it's almost contradictory and it's it's making us disconnected as as we live through this. Yeah, you know, I certainly think that social media has its pros and cons. And when I'm talking with people about their use of social media, I really encourage folks to think about the ways that it does provide that sense of connection, the ways that it does kind of lead to joy and pleasure and the ways that it can be activating because, you know, sometimes it starts to all blend together. And so, in fact, I was just talking with someone in my uh, clinical practice yesterday who decided to remove some of the apps off Mm. of their phone so that they would only intentionally engage in a healthy, productive way on the computer rather than having constant, immediate access to it on the phone, which I think is something that could be really helpful in terms of striking that balance. Yeah, I co-sign that. That's, <laughs> that's, that's a great idea. All right, Lisa, you mentioned a couple of things. Let's end this conversation with the positives. What can we do? What can we do for self-care? What can we do when it comes to trying to push back against the idea of our mental health being affected by, by what's happening right now? Part of it is, and you brought up a connection tool, is connecting on a deeper level, not on that shallow level. Um, I look at social media quite often as the commercials in between the show. And a lot of it is just that kind of commercials, trailers, trying to get that, you know, hit out of you. And if you go deeper into it, and, you know, my kids are out and about. I have one in Israel, one in New York, and, you know, here I am in Ohio. We connect for about an hour on a Zoom call every Saturday, and we really connect deeply. That's way more powerful than us sharing a couple little funny videos. Right. Um, we can see each other. We can actually exercise together. That's one of the things that I think is a challenge is people think that you have to sit in front of the screen stagnant, and that's where the fatigue comes from, when actually you can do life in front of it. Mm-hmm. And as with the seniors, one of the powerful tools is to put an earbud so that they can actually hear 
great because you're at a 36% higher risk of dementia with a hearing loss. Interesting. I didn't so know if that. We can, you know, if we can help people to hear better and connect, to exercise better, get great lighting, reduce their amount of sugar, and then daily list the positives instead of have that doom mentality. You know, I had food today. I had heat today. Um, I had shelter today. I have people that love me. There's a lot of positives that are still happening hmm. in this. Yeah, I love that. I love using screens to, to do life. <laughs> I love that. That's a great exactly. way to see it. Dr. Burnett Zeigler, when, when we get to the point uh, where we're at right now, what do we risk if we don't put stock, if we don't do what Lisa uh, just kind of put forth for us? Yeah, you know, I think that we risk having uh, ongoing challenges with anxiety and depression even when the restrictions start to be lifted. You know, I think it's important to recognize that this is a stressful time for uh, many people. Some are struggling more than others, but I think the vast majority of of folks are are feeling the brunt of the pandemic. And I love the recommendations that have been made around the various steps that we can take to continue to take care of ourselves, being in nature, you know, um, engaging deeply. I would add, you know, reminding yourself that this is temporary, reminding yourself of the reasons why we're taking the steps that we're taking so that we can uh, keep ourselves safe, keep our families and communities safe as well, and prepare both physically and mentally for when the restrictions are lifted so that we can re-engage in our lives and in communities in a way that uh, will feel healthy and good to us. We've been speaking with licensed clinical psychologist Dr. Inger Burnett-Zeigler of Northwestern's Feinberg School of Medicine, Lisa Sini as well, an aging expert and author of the book Boom, The Baby Boomer's Guide to Leveraging Technologies so that you can preserve your independent lifestyle and thrive. Thank you to both for a great conversation. Appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much. Thank you. And if you're feeling depressed, we can certainly hope that this conversation helped, but you can always reach out to a live person at NAMI Chicago, 833-626-4244. That's going to do it for Reset. I'm Justin Kaufman. Watch your podcast feed on Thanksgiving for a fun interview with some great local musicians. We'll talk to the Flat Five about their new album. I'm Justin Kaufman. Thanks for listening to Reset from WBEZ Chicago. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.